Let us pray. God, our creator, send your spirit upon us afresh this morning that we might hear your word to us, move among us, that we might keep vigil along with you through this season, that we might be transformed more and more into the likeness of Christ by the power of your spirit. Amen. Jen Richardson has a blog called The Advent Door, and she's been writing recently, reflecting on the vigil that she was keeping at the time of her husband's death, really unexpectedly, about three years ago. A surgery had gone very wrong, and actually he ended up passing on the, first, on the second day of Advent, just three years ago. So as she moves into Advent this year, she writes about her sense that while we are being asked to keep watch during the season of Advent, she has this sense that someone is also keeping watch over her. She speaks about her struggle during Advent, writing that when we have had an experience of waiting that ended in devastation instead of joy, when we have kept a vigil that drew us into grief instead of celebration, it can be difficult to know just how to navigate the call that lies at the heart of Advent to wait, to watch. And still, this year, she cannot shake the sense that there is a vigil being kept for me, she says, that I am being watched over, that there is one who lingers at the edge of my awareness, breathing with me and blessing me as I move through these days. What kind of vigil could we say God keeps? Psalm 72 begins and ends with God, the one who alone does wonders. Verse 18 God is the source of justice and righteousness. It's, it's from God that the king draws this goodness, this justice. And the king is expected to imitate God in this way. In fact, the poet is praying that Israel's kings will imitate their God in keeping a vigilant eye on the plight of the weakest and the poorest among the people. That the king will act to defend these weakest ones and protect them from harm. We see this at the beginning, and right in verse 4, and all the way um, in the middle in 12, 13, 14. And there it's, we can see clearly that it's the, the success of the king, the reason that people might blossom in the cities like the flowers of the field, is because their leader looks with compassion upon those in need. Because the king rescues those who have no helper, imitating God in seeing their blood as precious. The vigil God keeps is for the poor 
and for everyone suffering oppression. And of course, Scripture also shows us that this vision is not always realized, this grand hope for Israel's kings. In Israel's national life, we see even Solomon, who we tend to think of as a good king, gathers enormous wealth for himself, gold upon gold, and gilds everything in sight, and in the process lays a heavy burden on the people. You can see some of that in the beginning of Second uh, Chronicles 10 and prior. And so, as in every age, the lure of wealth and ease and power is strong. And those with power may and do simply choose to enjoy that and hoard it rather than sharing this power and wealth with the neediest among the people. We human beings can be blinded by great wealth where extravagance becomes normal and leaders' lives are so separated from the vulnerable and oppressed people in their land that they lose an awareness of the truth of the everyday lives of these people and so lose their ability to see with compassion and fairness as God sees. Well, Isaiah takes this vision even further with predator and prey lounging casually with children in nonviolent bliss. This green shoot that grows out of the stump of Jesse is a servant of God who manages to lay aside human prejudice, what his eyes see, what his ears hear, verse 3, and judges fairly for the poor. As we see elsewhere in Isaiah, the servant of Yahweh is not only bringing justice and shalom to Israel, but also drawing in the nations, the Gentiles. The vigil God keeps is among the nations, watching over the needy, working to dismantle greed and extend prosperity, well-being, shalom to all people and every creature. We tend to think of Jesus as the perfect example of this righteous and just king that we see in Psalm 72 and the one who's filled with God's spirit that we see in Isaiah. But it's worth asking how... Is Jesus like and unlike the psalmist's ideal king of Israel and Isaiah's vision of God's anointed on whom the spirit rests? A spirit of power, of the fear of Yahweh, and impartial and just judgments. We can see how Jesus reflects these things, but how does Jesus both fulfill this and also reshape these visions? You might have noticed that in both Old Testament readings, the wicked or the enemies are at least put to shame. They're, this image of licking the dust is not literal, but uh, you know uh, that, that your enemies will kind of be put in their place. Or in Isaiah, they're even killed. But how, there's also this very strange 
or sort of unclear, intriguing image in Isaiah, um, in verse, the second part of verse 4, where it talks about by the breath of his mouth, by the breath of his lips, by the rod of his mouth. What? I mean, like, that's some serious bad breath if that's going to kill the wicked. And then it's followed by all of these images, these, these classic images of the peaceable kingdom. Like it's, it, see, it seems that Isaiah is taking the psalmist's vision even further into nonviolence at the end of that passage. So that's, that's sort of strange, this thing about killing the wicked, but it's not with an actual weapon, it's with breath. Interesting. It seems to me that Jesus kind of takes this to the next level, that he's not so interested in the death of the wicked as in winning them over. So how is Jesus, like this king and like this servant of Yahweh, but redeeming even further this this vision? In what way is Jesus participating in the vigil that God is keeping for the poor of the earth. Of course, it's kind of strange to call Jesus a king at all. And it seems that by choosing to call him a king, the scriptures are transforming our very idea of what a king is. Transforming our assumptions about what power and authority looks like. Perhaps fulfilling Isaiah's strange reference to this rod of his mouth and breath of his lips, Jesus teaches and converses with his enemies, making wise and righteous judgments with his words and not choosing violence to silence his opponents. Jesus speaks with great authority and is recognized by all who hear him. And yet, he's not ruling over people, but inviting them into a shared life in God, inviting them to keep vigil with him in looking out for the least of our sisters and brothers, inviting us to belong to communities whose hearts are open to God, who share power and resources, just as Jesus does, just as the Creator shares with us. In Jesus' life, healing power is generously shared, bread is shared, and access to God is open to all. He comes to us as a poor man, walking from town to town, And understanding through direct experience, unlike the king in his palace, understanding through his own experience the plight of the poor. And yet at the same time strong in wisdom and in the power of the Spirit of God. This is the beauty and irony of Advent. Together we're watching for the dawning of God's light in a tiny, needy human being. In Jesus, God keeps watch along with those who are forgotten, weak, 
and viewed as expendable in the sight of world leaders. In taking on Jewish flesh in occupied Palestine, God chooses to keep vigil not only with the oppressed, but actually as the oppressed. As a human being who is lumped in with those whose dignity is not even worth the regard or the protection of the powerful. What if we saw Advent as our joining in with the divine vigil that is being kept always and everywhere for the afflicted and the poor? What if it were about keeping vigil for our neighbors who live with the oppression of slum landlords and racial profiling and ethnic and religious stereotypes? In the Romans passage we heard today, Paul names God as the God of steadfastness and encouragement and the God of hope. So the God of hope is also the God of endurance, persistently calling the powerful to account and at the same time living among the lowly. Friends, as this Advent unfolds, let us join in the vigil that God is keeping. Some of you have been lighting a candle throughout this week um, in response to Todd's invitation to light a candle either at morning or evening or both. As you light your candle this week, I invite you to be aware of God's compassionate watching over you and also to notice who comes to mind who might be in need of a fellow vigil keeper. For whom or with whom do you notice the spirit prompting you to keep vigil? For whom do you need to keep vigil? In your neighborhood? In other parts of the world? Perhaps our family that who's coming? For whom are we called to keep vigil and with whom? And how might we partner with God to keep watch with and for our vulnerable neighbors?